BDSM and non-standard relationships. Star exchange and polyamory. Sacred sexuality and fetishes. As, as well, well as, as simply, simply fun, fun kink. kink. You'll find shows on these topics and more at eroticawakeningpodcast.com. This week on Erotic Awakening, Dr. Anya Trahan and using relationships as a tool. Welcome to Erotic Awakening, an exploration of all things erotic. Erotic Awakening is intended for mature audiences. If you are offended by adult topics or prohibited by law, we recommend you stop listening right now. <laughs> Hi, Don. Ginger's old enough. <laughs> Say bye, Ginger. Oh, <laughs> she's so cute. Did you ever say hi, Dan? No. Hi, Dan. <laughs> I said hi, Dan. As we mentioned, we're going to talk about relationships as a tool. We're also doing something a little different. We actually have the video going at the same time as the audio. So this uh, podcast is going to end up on YouTube. And although we're not doing anything particularly kinky, to the best of my knowledge, uh, people will be able to see us talking to each other. Side note for you, Don, as we've never done the video podcast before, it's like when we drum. Don't watch the hands hitting the drum. Don't watch my lips as I'm talking because my lips are not moving at the same rate as my voice. I've noticed that, and I've tried not to look too much at myself, too, because I, I end up moving my head around to get the, the right view. <laughs> so, Don, today, uh, we're, as we are later, we are going to be talking with Dr. Anya... Trehan, and I think I'm saying that right, but she'll say it herself shortly. She has a new a new book about personal growth for a spiritual path and looking to use relationships as a tool. And you and I are going to be talking about relationships as a tool in a little bit, but we also have a question of the day and a bunch of other stuff going on as well. Indeed. So, um, so the question of the day, I've actually um, had to run across this recently, so we might as well get started with that. So. Question of the day, how do you prepare to be a contest judge? What are you looking for? <laughs> I didn't know you could see me. I was looking for my uh, master's cover. I was going to sneak it on before we had this conversation. Oh, you can't sneak it on when you're on video. <laughs> no, no good. Uh, so in the leather community, there is a variety of contests different titles you can earn and what judge you're going to be judging at the Great Lakes Leather Alliance in August. You and I will be there. You'll be judging. Which contest are you going to be judging? I'll be judging the um, GLLA Master and Slave contest. So my understanding is there's a couple of couples and um, they've each won their state level and then they come into the regional level which is what GLLA is. So the Great Lakes region. And unfortunately um, I guess it's either fortunate or unfortunate. We know a lot of these people, so you end up right. often judging people that we hang out with or people that we know socially or uh, that kind of thing. And that's the case this year around as well, isn't it? It is. It is this year. So, um, and it was with international too. So, um, when I got to judge international last year, 2013, I believe it was. And the trick is, is that once I know they're going to be in the contest, I'm judging then I can't talk to them anymore. So that's kind of hard. <laughs> and it was that way with um, when we judged at the local contest 
that um, happened. That was a few years ago as well. You know, we knew people that were running, so we couldn't talk to them anymore. It was a, um, I don't know if it's a conflict of interest. I don't know what the terminology is, but it doesn't seem right to chat with them coming up on a contest that I'll be judging them in. No, and that's exactly right. I mean, if you're going to be the judge in a contest, you don't want to sit with Arcane, who's one of the people that are, you're going to be judging. Mm -hmm. and say, oh, by the way, make sure you've studied so-and-so book because I'm probably going to ask about that. That gives an unfair advantage to them. Right. And, part of, and part of the realization that we've come up with that is you, as you judge for these contests, you kind of have to set yourself at a very high standard for what you're looking for because these are people that are going to be representing your region, you know, that represent you as a judge. And it's, um, it's really challenging to put any emotional connection aside and say, look, I want the best person, the best possible right. person to represent what it is that we're going for. So, absolutely, absolutely. So, But it is kind of neat because like Arcane will text me and say, hey, I need to know if you know where to buy a blah, blah, blah. And, you know, as soon as his message pops up, I'm on guard. I've already warned him about this, but I'm on guard. Uh-oh, what question is he going to ask me? If I'm going to, am I going to have to tell you Sorry, can't answer. And it's like he wants to. He wants to. He wrote me um, a couple of days ago and said, "Hey, I want to practice my two-minute speech, but you're going to be at where I want to practice it at. Is it going to be rude to ask you to leave?" And I'm like, "No, it's not rude. Actually, that's called ethical and right action. So thanks for the warning. Yeah, please practice your speech. I'll leave." Yeah. So yeah. So I'm good with that. So what are you doing to prepare yourself to judge in this contest? Um, actually trying not to think about it too much, but um, because I go in with a list of questions, only a few questions though, because what I find is I'll end up asking them questions based on how they've responded to other people. And you can't really prepare for that. So I try to make sure to have a couple of canned questions in case there's really nothing to feed off of with their responses. But um, with the international contest, I was really able to dig deeper into their answers because I was okay with just asking questions on the fly. Um, the other thing that I try to prepare for is um, I know I'm going to be very limited time-wise with how I get to participate in the event. So I'll be pulling up the schedule soon and marking off when I want time with you <laughs> and things like that. Uh, and probably the other thing is is I'm trying to figure out what to wear. <laughs> None of my stuff fits. Uh, for uh, the sake of our audience, that actually has been a big deal for you. Is like, what am I going to wear for the costuming? Uh -huh. Because while I'm sitting there for nine hours, I don't want to be wearing a corset just to look good. I want to be focused on them. And but. There are times where you do want to uh, appear your best. Right, and I, I really do want to appear my best. And I know what I, I know what you like for me to wear, and I represent you as well. So I don't want to wear anything that's sloppy and too big, and you know things like that. So I have lost some weight, and the stuff that used to be my standbys doesn't fit anymore. So yeah, so I have been corset shopping, but I don't know that I want to judge in a corset. <laughs> Are we outing Ginger by having her video on the podcast? Oh, well, we're going to be talking about Polly, and she's the Polly puppy. She is indeed. Um, the uh, in a, so, if you missed it earlier, podcast listeners, you could actually be podcast viewers if you head over to the. And I guess I'll have to put a link because I'm not sure where this is going to show up. 
the brand new Erotic Awakening podcast <laughs> channel. Uh, this video may or may not be there. Uh, we probably won't do this all the time. There's some audio challenges that come up when you do a video versus a um, our audio. Not to mention, I like having you cross from me. Uh, but we can see each other, as you noticed. We can, we can. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Ginger. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> she did not care. She doesn't care. I got a yawn out of that. Okay. If you would like to ask us a question of the day, you can write us. Uh, our email is dananddawn at eroticawakening.com. Or you can go to our website where you can get the dot comment form, and the website is eroticawakening.com. We also have Facebook, FetLife, and the good old voicemail at 614-414-2072. You want to know a problem with recording? What's that? Itches. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the video actually sees you unless you're speaking. I think that whenever I'm speaking, you can pick your nose or whatever you want to do, and nobody can see that. <laughs> when I try that. <laughs> you go ahead and try that. I see we do have some new subscribers to the newsletter. We do. We have um, Deborah with South Carolina. And Jerry from all of the USA. Jerry said he's from the USA. Jerry, thank you for representing the entire country. Sweet. So we also got a lot of likes or licks on our Facebook. So we, we can have those come in. We did. So we have... Um, his slave, oh, that was on FET, his slave forever. So wanted us to know that they enjoy the podcast and the book. Very kind of them. And also Marzia, Tracy, Earl, John, and Angel Noir all licked us on Facebook. Funny, Angel Noir. We'll be talking more about Angel Noir shortly. I think we have an interview with her on them this Tuesday, as a matter of fact. Ooh, nice. That'll be good to have. So... Um, another thing that we got to do was to help um, one of our listeners, Roy George, celebrate his 40th birthday. We did indeed. So Roy George is one of our, I don't know about original listeners, but he's certainly been around for quite a while, has sent you a share of um, uh -huh. links. And I think in episode 100, we did a best of show, and he had one of the, had the, our favorite uh, scene name, Roy George. Boy George, I love that. And yes, he has sent um, a few tentacle links that are that were nice. So yeah, so a friend of his got in touch with us, and we were able to send him a book and a deck of cards, Kickstarter cards for his birthday. So yay! Happy uh, 40th birthday to you, Boy George. Uh, you're still younger than me, so get off my lawn. <laughs> uh, so we got that. We knocked that out. Um, we have been having a lot of luck with the whole Erotic Awakening Podcast Network. If you haven't been over to eroticawakeningpodcastnetwork.com or you can just go eroticawakeningpodcast.com or a variety of other ways, you'll find we have uh, four shows out there right now. You'll see a fifth show is coming soon. We have actually about 90% ready on that one, and uh, that would be introduced really quickly. And I've got two other people that I'm talking to as uh, well. That will bring us up to seven as well as I've got to burr up my ass to start another podcast about uh, Leather Talk, which uh, I wanted to produce, but I'm not liking the way it's coming along, so I might push it and let Ginger host. Aww. So, lots going on over there. I see um, Lee Harrington has a new episode of Passion and Soul that uh, I was quite taken by, so go check that out. Uh, all kinds of stuff going on on the podcast network. 
Nice, nice. So, well, I would like to mention that Erotic Awakening is sponsored in part by Adventures in Sexuality, Central Ohio's kinky fun group. Find out more at adventuresinsexuality.org. Well, then I should probably say... Smitten <laughs> <laughs> Kitten. <laughs> Erotic Awakening is sponsored in part by Smitten Kitten. Smitten Kitten is your online resource and personal guide to all things sex-related. They offer over 3,000 unique products that have served the sex-positive community for over 10 years. From, let me look around our apartment here, floggers to cat of nine tails and things that you can really use, even if you've seen the Fifty Shades of Grey trailer for the movie that's coming out any moment. <laughs> Find it all at Smitten Kitten Online. Use the coupon code Dan and Dawn and get 20% off your purchase. Sweet. The only other note that I have on these notes, and see, we really do take notes, guys. <laughs> there is a, uh, a review of our book on the dominantguide.com of the uh, Living MS book. So they seem to have good things to say about it. That was nice. Otherwise, I wouldn't have added it to the notes. Exactly. <laughs> so, so the topic for the day, relationships as a tool, uh, do you use our relationship as a tool for your personal growth? Actually, I do, and um, it kind of surprised me when I heard that some people don't recommend that. Um, for me, just about anything in my life can be used as a tool for growth, so why not the relationship as well? I mean, we push each other for growth. We... Um, use our relationship, we use our knowledge of each other, we use our love for each other, and we kind of push, so why not? Do you I think one of the challenges for people, uh, at least the ones that I come up with, is that as much as I agree with that, anything that happens in your life can be a tool for growth in your life, and that certainly includes relationships, and, the, uh, and polyamory is a wonderful example of that, how people that stay in polyamory are people that are willing to put the work in on self-growth. It's easy for me to avoid how I feel uh, challenged by feelings of jealousy. It's easier, and I won't say it's easy, but it's easier in a monogamous relationship because we don't end up having, and I'm not faced with jealousy as often, where in a polyamorous relationship, jealousy comes up over and over again all the time. So the challenge becomes to be willing to face that stuff, right? Makes So in that regard, yeah, I do say that poly, that relationships in general can be tools for uh, growth. Things come up, use it as a tool. The challenge, the other side of it is, though, you don't want your entire sense of self to be key to a relationship. And the problem with that, of course, is that all things are impermanent, they tell me. Little mala beads and everything. Uh, Including relationships. I mean, you and I have no perception that our relationship will end anytime soon, but it would be foolish to say that it will never, it will end at some point, right? It may be because you and I die at the same moment, or because I die first and then you die. Something will cause our relationship to end. Best case scenario is 25 plus years from now, and we both get hit by a space station and the kids to NASA and live happily ever after. That's my best case scenario for our, the end of our relationship, by the way. Wow. You've okay. thought about this. 
I didn't realize that I thought about that. Apparently I have. But the point being is if you tie your relationship too greatly, your self-growth and your self-value and your self-worth too much into a relationship, then when that relationship ends, what do you have left? So I think that's the challenge that people have or would have with coming up with the idea of using my relationship as a tool for self-growth. Okay, I can see that, especially if it's like the only tool or, um, they, yeah, especially if it's the only tool, if they don't have other tools that they can use on their, their own personal level. So, but I would like to throw out there that um, I believe our relationship will go beyond death. So it is not going to end. <laughs> anyway. Uh -huh. And I will say that our relationship specifically, if we look back at our background, before you and I got in a relationship, I was kind of a, oh, junkie. Um, I think the correct term is chemically dependent individual or a recovering addict. But regardless, my prior life prior to you was had a lot to do with getting and using of drugs and being very self-centered. Um, and you certainly were not the person that you wanted to be in your previous relationship as well. So from that perspective, the power exchange aspect of our relationship is absolutely a tool of growth mm -hmm. because it led us to, um, it led me to have to push to create some of the aspects of myself that I thought that are really important to me now. Being responsible for somebody other than myself, developing some self-growth, uh, or some um, growing for myself, developing some ethics, developing some uh, strengths in area that I wasn't particularly strong so that I could be a good uh, dominant and a good master in our relationship. Yeah, and then for me it was about not putting myself first because uh, I know a lot of people say you have to put yourself first but for me putting someone else first and taking care of someone else um, stopped me <laughs> from being so wrapped up you know with just me. It was it kinda opened me up to the rest of the world and trusting other people. So, Ginger, it's really hard to talk to your ear. <laughs> rough, rough, so, rough. Definitely. I see our power exchange as growth. I see our kink life as growth, growth, you know, tools for growth. I see um, our poly life, definitely, tools for growth. Um, even the boyfriend is a tool for growth. He's so different than me that I'm having to learn, you know, other ways of being open-minded. So um, you mentioned recently how his viewpoints of some things are different than yours, right? Yeah, yeah. His viewpoints are, are different than mine, but he's also thought about them a lot. So we can actually have deep conversation about our differences, core differences. I mean, um, I'm actually looking forward to taking that class. I think we chose that class for Beyond the Love, about making it through core differences in a relationship. That would actually be neat to go see. Yeah, absolutely. As if you uh, can both produce an event and actually get to go to any of the classes. Yeah, that doesn't usually happen. <laughs> so, Don, at last year's Beyond the Love, I don't know if you noticed, but we had a lot of rational atheist polyamory people there. We did? We did indeed. They blended in well. They did blend in well, as a matter of <laughs> But today we have Dr. Anya Trahan on. And Dr. Anya Trahan, I don't think that your new book, Love is Abundant, Intentional Relationships and the Evolution of Consciousness, is about atheist-focused polyamory relationships. Would that be a correct assessment? That would be a correct assessment, yes. Well, what is your book about? 
Well, my book is a personal growth book for people who are on a spiritual path at this time and are looking to use relationships as a tool for evolving their own consciousness. Nice. Okay. So my first thought is I seem to hear a lot of stuff about not letting your relationships be the basis of your growth. Are you taking a different view of that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that relationships are probably um, on equal par with the relationship with the self. Uh, I believe that through relationships, we see different aspects of ourselves that we couldn't normally see if we were just hanging out alone all the time. So uh, in that sense, I'm trying to translate a lot of the lessons that I've learned as an uh, out-of-the-closet polyamorous person and also polyamory researcher and translating those lessons and making them applicable to basically anybody who is interested in um, doing some really hard personal growth and uh doing diving into some pretty dark and scary places for themselves and then in so doing emerging out from that with incredibly awesome communication skills emotional skills and just basically living a happier and more joyful life nice so let me see if i translated something that you said at the beginning yeah um, so do you see relationships actually i got two questions do you see relationships as a way of being a mirror to yourself, for one. So like uh, you see reflected in your partners things that you need to work on within yourself. So that's what I mean by a mirror. And then two, I'm wondering if being in multiple relationships or any relationship kind of makes your issues smack you in the face <laughs> triple fold, you know, exponentially. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree with, oh, yeah. Um, so to give you a really concrete physical, like, example from my own life, okay. um, basically to answer what the second part of what you were saying is that um, my, well, I have two life partners. My one life partner, Andrew, he and I, we've been married for a number of years, and he had the opportunity, like a business, business and spiritual also opportunity, um, in Colorado. And my original plan was to go with him and it was growing good. We had our plans, you know, we were sailing along towards that destination. And then, so I had a very mystical experience and was told very clearly that I needed to pursue a different path and not necessarily that, like, I wasn't in love with him anymore, but that I needed to just go and do this different thing and not be physically present with him. So telling him that, communicating that with love, and then going through many months of confusion and issues for us both were just popping up. I mean, we were just a trigger magnet for each other. Like, everything <laughs> we were saying was making us angry or sad or whatever for a number of months until he finally did move um, to Colorado. 
which was just about two weeks ago. And but up until that point, it was it was basically hell on earth because we were f- feeling all these insecurities. Because what does it mean when your life partner says, "I can't live with you right now. I can't," you know. So it makes you look at a lot of different things. Um, so I don't know if that really addressed the second part of what you were saying. Um, so I guess I'm trying to say I'm just getting out of a really intense time in my life and <laughs> climbing out <laughs> of the hole of all the intense like personal reflections and things I've had to go through. And please remind me, Don, what was the first thing? Oh, you sorry. So well, I know I, I had two heavy questions, but it's because I was afraid <laughs> I was going to forget one. But um, I'm just wondering with um, and it kind of works with uh, the using relationships as tools. I mean, yeah. do you see with having one partner that would mirror things that you need to work on within yourself, do you find that that is like doubly so or triply so with the more people that you add into your life, the more partners? Yeah, I would say so. And I, <laughs> I think different people have different thresholds for how much processing and growth that they could do at any one time. So for me, I discovered my limit of three partners. Well, actually my limit is two partners at one time because at one point I had three and I was not doing well. (laughs) Um, There was just too many different mirroring effects happening where we were all just, we were all a group of friends um, and spending a lot of time together. But the the dynamic for me of having that many partners was just too much. So now I realize like two is my like limit. I do actually, um, you know, want to say that I don't think it, my situation is necessarily like a, could be generally applied to many people. So, um, but yes, I do think that the relationships that we have are, I would say intrinsic for our own personal growth. Yeah. Now, earlier, you and throughout here, you've mentioned words like spiritual and mystical. What aspect of your book, how much of your book is for the spiritual, mystical-minded people? Will our atheist, rationalist friends find anything out of your book? That's a really awesome question. Okay, so I have an answer for you. Um, one of my colleagues in the polyactivism movement, he's also an academic, um, he's a great friend. He lives in Portugal and we were Skyping the other day because he read part of my manuscript and he was giving me feedback on it. And it surprised me in the first place that he even wanted to read it because he is a super like atheist, rational, like what you see is what you get. Don't tell me bullshit about prayer, or energy healing or any of that crap. I just want to talk about like, you know, logic and things like that. So anyway, <laughs> He read, he read my manuscript and then he just kept saying, this is really useful for me and I'm so surprised. And um, so, and I think one of the ways that I try to incorporate um, or try to address as many readers as possible um, in that I don't necessarily say that my way is the best way or only way, or I don't even have that like little bit of, um, feeling in my writing. I'm truly just trying to talk to just basically people who think they're different from the normal culture in some way. So I think my book can speak to the queer population, LGBT, 
um, BDSM, kink, all, you know, the people on the sidelines who um, aren't always comfortable about um, openly expressing who they are because our society is so judgmental and sex phobic and what have you. So I don't know. I guess I do think that people who are already like very dedicated to spiritual practice would probably be more likely to pick up my book. But I do think if, you know, someone who thought of themselves as more rationalist, logical, happened to like open it up, I think they wouldn't be annoyed. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) That's the goal. Not be annoyed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So why write a book? Well, this is my first book, and I wanted to do this since I was in fifth grade. So um, I wrote a dissertation recently um, in order to get my PhD. I had to write a book length. I mean, it basically was a book. It was 250 pages um, about polyamory. And I I was actually the first one in my field um, of rhetoric and writing, which is a field within the broader um, discipline of English, I was the first person to tackle the poly issue. (laughs) Um, and it was really rewarding, but I do feel that I have a lot more to say about polyamory and also relationships and love in general that I couldn't really get to in the academic dissertation because I was very much like, you know, um, following the rules of academic writing and it didn't allow for as much creativity as I would like. So I'm, just expanding on that project in a way into this one. So I'm, I'm, this is the best thing I've ever done. I'm really excited. Great. Where do you think that polyamory will be in five years? Oh, that's an awesome question. Well, even just tracking my own um, informal sampling, I suppose, um, because I just tend to talk about how I have multiple partners wherever I go. And in just in casual conversation with like, for example, someone, you know, that I'm buying a drink from at the gas station or, you know, a clerk in some store or whatever. Um, when I first came out as Polly around 2011, 2000, yeah, it was 2011. I when I would broach the subject with different people, I really remember not a lot of people understanding what that word was. And then now it seems like even in the small town that I live in, people are like bringing it up with me um, as something they're curious about, even if they don't know what I'm writing about. So it seems like the more, more and more people at least are familiar with the term. And so um, I think in five years, the sky is the limit in terms of getting to a place where it's not seen as like completely freakish or diabolical that a person could love more than one person and you know at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> people might still be annoyed about it or don't understand it, but it might. Yeah, I think I think it's getting there where it's. People will have a little more empathy about different life choices, such as. Very cool. How much of your personal life are we going to find in this book versus how much of it is just academic research? 
Well, actually, I should clarify. The book that I'm doing now, um, Love is Abundant, is not really academic-y at all. Um, I don't, I think I cite like one article from an academic journal, Mm -hmm. but other than that, it's just very, um, when I do cite authors, it's more popular general audience type of books. And I don't really do that much drawing on other authors. Um, A lot of it is pretty 50-50 split between my own experiences and then also just my philosophical musings. So you're going to see a good amount of me, but it's not a memoir or anything. It's I use my own examples from my life when it makes sense to, but I, I didn't set out to sort of tell my poly story. It's more just philosophical and um, uh, less focused on me. Okay, very cool. So one more question for you, if you don't mind. Sure. Where can I get this book? <laughs> okay, so... Uh, this book is in the process of being read by different editors and different publishing houses. So when I figure out what publisher I'm going to go with, then I will let Dan and Dawn know. Well, <laughs> let me ask an alternative question then. How do I find out more about Dr. Anya Trahan? Oh, that is a great question. Um, you can go to dranya.net and find out more about my teachings and writings and my Reiki practice. Very cool. Dr. Anya Drahan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. I uh, look forward to hearing more about your mystical, spiritual, or just plain old writing journey. Thank you so much. Awesome. Bye. Bye. Erotic Awakening is sponsored in part by the Guilty Pleasure Stage Show and its educational branch, the Monkey Puzzle Club. Join us each month for Fetish Foreplay Friday, located at Club Princeton in Columbus, Ohio. This event provides new and engaging kink classes, followed by a BDSM-themed play party. Classes begin at 8 p.m. with party immediately following. The makers of the movie Dawn of the Planet of the Apes do not support. The Monkey Puzzle Club meets every Wednesday at The Room at the Columbus Insight Center for cutting-edge kink classes beginning at 8 p.m. immediately followed by hands-on guided practice sessions with members of the Guilty Pleasures and Monkey Puzzle Club crews. See how I did that? I tied the movies with the monkeys. I did. Well, I used my name, too. (laughs) Follow us on Twitter at MonkeyPuzzleOH or search for the Monkey Puzzle Club and look for our Curious Monkey logo. (laughs) You can also follow both Guilty Pleasures and Monkey Puzzle Club on FetLife.com for all announcements and discussions. Bye, Bye, Dawn. Dawn.